The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. There's something wrong here. There's some part of it that you don't have the answer to. Yes, we did overlook something when we started to control their minds. You see, it all goes back to the fear factor. All the menials are unable to cope with even the slightest amount of anxiety. And what good is a massive army of cowards? Well, you do have a problem, but I don't see how that concerns me. That is the reason you are here. You see, you are that almost forgotten thing in our society. A brave man. Now, if we are to attain our rightful destiny, then we need new blood. The blood of a man who is totally unafraid. A man like yourself. And that's what all this has been about. Listen to me, Logan. You must listen. There are still women here in the inner circle who are without fear. But you are the only man who can sow the seed of a new race of men with the courage of our ancestors. Now, once we have children without fear, then they can breed more children without fear. Join us, Logan. Help us to start a new master race. I read once of a people who considered themselves a master race. It involved their making the rest of the world their slaves, or else exterminating them. Logan, you must join us. I came here with two friends. I intend to leave with them. As for your plan, it belongs in the straitjacket that you keep your people in. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, September 7th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And racism and mind control are indeed our themes today. But before we examine the evidence, don't forget that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292, Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. You know, there are those who might be tempted to say, Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. In respect to the hastily drafted motion we discussed last week, when the City of London sought to ban groups on city property who did not share the city's ideology. There is even talk that the motion itself will be amended or rescinded after the city's legal folks may have a look at it. So we'll see how that transpires. But here's the point. Even if that particular motion is not followed through on, I think it's a bit too late. What is worse than the motion was what happened at the rallies in London last week and what is, in fact, the city's clear and identifiable ideology, and it's one of racism. And if you, if you have any doubt of that, you won't after you hear today's show. So, to borrow upon those famous words, do not forgive them, Lord, for they do know what they are doing. 
Every nasty thing we said about London City Hall last week when we were joined by Amir Farahi was just the tip of a huge racist iceberg. But before I get to the city's very explicit plans in this regard, let's first take a step back to be certain that we're all on the same page. I've read the following words so often over the years of broadcasting this show that it's clear that when you hear them, you'll understand why I consider most of our politicians in power today to be practicing racist agendas. Whether they see themselves as racist or not is not the issue. Now, this is from Ayn Rand. This hits the nail right on the head. Quote, Racism is the lowest, most crudely primitive form of collectivism. It is the notion of ascribing moral, social, or political significance to a man's genetic lineage. The notion that a man's intellectual and characterological traits are produced and transmitted by the internal body chemistry. Which means, in practice, that a man is to be judged not by his own character and actions, but by the characters and actions of a collective of ancestors. Isn't that true? Racism claims that the content of a man's mind, not his cognitive apparatus, but its content, is inherited. That a man's convictions, values, and character are determined before he was born by physical factors beyond his control. Like every form of determinism, racism invalidates the specific attribute which distinguishes man from all other living species, his rational faculty. Racism negates two aspects of man's life, reason and choice, or mind and morality, replacing them with chemical predestination. This is important. Like every other form of collectivism, racism is a quest for the unearned. It is a quest for automatic knowledge, for an automatic evaluation of men's characters that bypasses the responsibility of exercising rational or moral judgment, and above all, a quest for an automatic self-esteem or pseudo-self-esteem. <laughs> wow, isn't that powerful? That's what we've been calling virtue signaling, right? That's what, that's what virtue signaling is. Quote, today racism is regarded as a crime if practiced by a majority, but as an inalienable right if practiced by a minority. Oh, this has never changed. Now, here's another definition that's very important in the context of the direction I'll be taking the, the conversation today. And this is about quotas. And quotas based on race are, of course, racist. But it's not that simple. Here's what Rand has to say about it. The notion of racial quotas is so obviously an expression of racism that no lengthy discussion is necessary. If a young man is barred from a school or a job because the quota for his particular race has been filled, he is barred by reason of his race. Telling him that those admitted are his representatives, quote-unquote, is adding insult to injury. To demand such quotas in the name of fighting racial discrimination is an obscene mockery. The inversion of all standards, the propagation of racism as anti-racist, of injustice as just, you know, that's what social justice is, of immorality as moral, and the reasoning behind it, which is worse than the offenses, is flagrantly evident in the policy of preferential treatment for minorities, i.e. racial quotas, in employment and in education. No man, whether black or white, has any claim to the property of another. A man's rights are not violated by a private individual's refusal to deal with them. 
Racism isn't evil, irrational, and morally contemptible doctrine, but doctrines cannot be forbidden or prescribed by law. Just as we have to protect a communist's freedom of speech, even though his doctrines are evil, so we have to protect a racist's right to use and dispose his own property. End quote. Well, there you have a pretty powerful couple of definitions, both of racism and of quotas. So where do you suppose our governments are heading? Well, straight into racism and to quotas, because that's all our governments are about. This is from August 31st, 2017, London Free Press, written by Megan Stacy. Quote, City hopes to diversify advisors, senior staff, and candidates. London's goal is to have more women of all ages, races, and educational backgrounds on the city's advisory committees, boards, and commissions. Politicians said they're also committed to pushing towards the Federation of Canadian Municipalities' goals of seeing 30% of municipal seats in Canada filled by women by 2030. Right now, four out of London's 14 ward councillors, about 28.5%, are women. All four are white. You know, I can't believe I'm reading this, that I'm reading this in a real paper that they're talking about colors and, and what color a person's skin is and how many there are. It, I never heard stuff like this when we first emigrated to Canada. This is what we ran away from. Quote, It's our diversity that makes us better, Council Maureen Cassidy said. It's important to increase that as much as we can. And though London's council is close to 30% female, there's no reason to stop there, she added. It's not an end goal. The numbers are worse inside the City Hall's governance groups. A voluntary survey conducted by the City showed only 2% of women from diverse backgrounds participate in the City's advisory committees, commissions, and boards. We don't have a full conversation. We don't have everyone at the table that we should, Cassidy said. Now see, here's a person who thinks that the content of a person's mind is determined by race. That's, she's talking about a conversation. A full conversation that can only be made full if the people of the right color skin are sitting there. How racist can you get? You can't get more racist than that. I continue. Members of the Corporate Services Committee directed staff to put together an implementation plan to bring more diversity to governance groups. Boy, these guys, <laughs> all they do is vote on race. We've really, really got to be bold, Councillor Harold Usher said. We've got to make some intentional effort to include women in our governments. And Usher hopes the work will spread farther than just those committees and boards. He wants to see better gender parity when it comes to elected officials and city staff. Even when we look at the demographics of staff, this number is so skewed that it isn't even funny, he said. Usher said he encourages many young people to run for politics, even against him in his ward. We've got a lot of smart people from the diverse communities out there, he said. What we need to do is bring them in, end quote. Oh, so if you're white, don't run. Whites are not in the diverse community, you know that, right? And they wonder why all the talk about white supremacy and white racism. These people are creating those conditions. It's as if they went to a textbook case and did everything that they possibly could do to create the conditions that they bitch about. And it's not just our city government. Coming up next, we'll hear the balanced view on racial inequity from Ontario's own minister responsible for anti-racism. Thanks to this June 5th exchange between CFPLAM 980's Andrew Lawton and the minister.
On the other side of the bumper, we'll hear the Rebels' Ezra Levant's take on the rallies in London last week. In studio, the minister responsible for anti-racism, Michael Koto, joins me. A lot of people are unfamiliar with the actual cabinet portfolio that you have, and, and I know that uh, the Wynne government and the government in which you are a part has made it a priority to look at racism in the province and, and even within various ministries, but why is this something that requires a, a specific minister rather than dealing with this in the various ministries that have a piece of the pie here? If you look around the world, we're seeing uh, different forms of uh, hate you know, taking place, uh, what hap- what's been happening down south. But in Ontario, we've seen it right across the province, and um, we need to get ahead of this because there's obviously a uh, moral aspect behind, you know, good policy decision around racism, but there's also an economic imperative to it, too. You know, we've got to remove barriers so it allows for all people to reach their full potential in Ontario. And when one person, an next-door neighbor, is excelling, you know, it's good for you as an Ontarian. It helps build the economy, helps better position ourselves. So, you know, I'm looking at it from both perspectives. This bill uh, establishes the Anti-Racism Directorate. It sets forward a three-year strategic plan. And within that plan, there's some pretty important pieces to combat systemic racism, which you're talking about. You know, racism we find uh, built in, in institutions. And it may not necessarily be people within an organization that, you know, have racist tendencies. It's more, if we're doing things the way we've always done things, does it create barriers? Does it not allow people to get to their, you know, that full potential? This is not about, you know, giving one person a little bit of a boost over another person. It's about just removing any barriers that exist that allow for people to really excel and to get to where they need to be. There's a lot of examples here in Ontario where, you know, we're not seeing the same results for all people. And uh, we just need to find ways to balance it out a bit more. Well, I saw a news story the other day out of London, Ontario. It was about a group called PEGIDA. It's a European organization founded in Germany, which roughly translates into Patriots Against the Islamification of Europe. It's, it's not quite a humanist group, not quite an atheist group. It's more against Islamification. And you can take it or leave it. You can agree or disagree. They're a completely peaceful group. They just have protests and marches and their Canadian branch which is quite small wanted to do that in the city of London Ontario and they wanted to do so in a public facility well London's City Hall got wind of this and they were adamant that they would restrict or ban Pegida and similar groups from having rallies or even peaceful and quiet meetings in public facilities that they would apply a political test and in this age of Islamophobia mania, Pegida obviously fails. So as we can see, both our provincial and municipal governments are quite busy at work. This is not about giving one person a boost over another person. It's about removing any barriers that exist, says the minister. (laughs) Jeez. That allow for people to really excel and to get to where they need to be. There's a lot of examples here in Ontario where... We're not seeing the same results for all people. We just need to find a way to balance it out a bit more, he says. Holy cow, can you imagine stuff like that coming out of an Ontario minister's mouth? And if I've ever heard a pile of vague, undefined, collectivist, racist terms, that is it. If it's not about giving one person a boost over another person, then what is it? 
And what are these barriers he's talking about? Never mentioned one. The barrier is the guy currently sitting in the job position that needs to be color balanced. You'll notice he used terms like balance to disguise his very unbalanced racist agenda. Who's to decide where someone, quote, needs to be? Based on what criteria? Is that, is that economic? Is that skin color? Is that on your idiocy scale? What is that based on? For all the BS about this not being about racial hatred, then why introduce the issue by saying that the government has been motivated by hate? Quote, if you look around the world, you're seeing different forms of hate taking place. What's been happening down south? But in Ontario, we've seen it right across the province, and we need to get ahead of this. Ahead of what? I don't know what he's talking about. There's also a moral aspect about good policy decisions around racism, he says, but there's also an economic imperative, too. We've got to remove barriers. There's that word barriers again. So this time it's about the economic imperative. Oh, sounds like wealth redistribution to me, doesn't it? You know, this is the very kind of government thinking that causes race and group hatred. Whenever one group, again, a leftist way of dealing with individuals, it's all groupthink, whenever one group is pitted against another group unjustly, and for reasons completely arbitrary like economic egalitarianism and, and racial egalitarianism, what we just heard from the minister was communism and fascism and racism combined through and through. Whether one legislates for a single master race or for a single multicultural mass of races, the net effect is the same because the rule of law has been violated. Differing groups are no longer being treated equally before and under the law, which is the only equality that has any value at all. But the racists are everywhere and they think they're the good guys. You know, they're not just in, in, in City Hall and in government. They're especially in the media. You know, I couldn't believe this piece by Cheryl Ruth in the Londoner on August 31st. This was after the weekend event to which we have been referring. Show up, stand up, and speak up, it said. And she writes, quote, It is tragic how we romanticize history when we only have to look back on it, never experiencing the pain and bloodshed that had to happen to create change for future generations. That was then, and this is now. How quickly we forget the sacrifices that were made. We've seen a resurgence of racism, xenophobia, and bigotry on both sides of the border. What are you willing to sacrifice right now to protect others who are equal to you in every manner? <laughs> Silence is not golden. Today's speech is, and action is platinum. This is so lefty, I can't believe it. This is like right out of the Ayn Rand uh, you know, training book on who is left. Quote, last Saturday I participated in the anti-hate rally at City Hall. Yeah, right. Organized by People for Peace. <laughs> uh, at 49 years old, I'm a little embarrassed to admit. It was my first protest, but it was a place to start. For an hour and a half, I listened to both sides. And that's what it was. Two sides. Not many sides. Call them what you want. Love and hate. Good and bad. Tolerant and intolerant. Notice how she's going for the, for the polarization in her own frame of reference. Educated and ignorant. I knew which side I stood on, and the power of love, good, and tolerance was enveloping. Wow, that's what I saw there last week. 
After about an hour, I moved across Dufferin to stand under some shade. I watched a woman and a man in his early twenties walking away from the crowd towards me. She was wiping away tears. He had his arm around her shoulders. They were Muslim. That moment brought it all home for me. When the members of Pegida were leaving to the chance of shame by the crowd, I turned to the young man and woman next to me. I could barely get the words out, but I asked them if they were okay. They smiled and said, Yes, thank you. I wanted to apologize or say something that might make a difference, and I realized that you can't keep apologizing for intentional ignorance. There is no value in that. What you have to do is show up, stand up, and speak up. End quote. This is another one of those commentaries that makes me feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. Well, allow me to begin on her golden note. Okay, all of the opinions just expressed by Ruth are ignorant. They don't relate to what was going on there, to the connection of the facts, to what the issues are. She's clearly a hater in this scenario, even as it was described by her. Is her speech golden? Not by a long shot. It lacks any luster of thought or insight. It's all feely-feely, goody-goody, like like that's going to change anything. How can any rational person possibly conclude that what we saw in London on Saturday, two weeks ago, was an example of love, good, and tolerance? Signs with F off on them? Spitting in the face of those you disagree with? Shouting obscenities and drowning out discourse? (laughs) That's love and tolerance? Now, here is a different account and a more realistic take on what was happening. As reported on its website, of all places, CFPL AM 980 Radio posted this following article. Quote, Though counter-protesters focused on what they said was the rally participants' racism and bigotry, some bystanders felt Pegida members should be able to express their views. Adam Benny and Ayman Hashisho, both originally from Lebanon, observed from afar and said the lack of discourse from both sides was troublesome. Both of us, we have a background where if you are over there, Lebanon, and speak out, you're automatically thrown out if your ideology does not align with the Islamic world, Benny said. If they have a problem with how Sharia law treats women, how can we talk about these issues if one side is quick to label a group something that they are not? Like fascist or racist, Benny added. To me... Pegida's signs are not projecting racism, but are presenting facts of the environment where myself and Ayman both grew up. Benny and Hashisho also said they were concerned about the precedent City Hall's motion condemning hate could set over Londoners' right to free speech. End quote. As have all of the Muslim guests we've had on our show. But who cares about their freedom, right? Not the left. Muslims are victims and must be kept so. For without that, the left has nothing left. Remember the front page story with the the woman spitting in the face of the protester? On the front page of its August 28th edition, London Free Press, and the headline read, Pushback to Ugly Spat. And the caption under the picture read, quote, Near the end of the dueling rallies, a racist comment by a Pegida supporter named Lynn provoked a dramatic response from Bailey Lemon. She spat in the face of the Pegida supporter who responded with a punch. Read more about the rallies and their aftermath on page A3. 
So I went to do that. I wondered what the so-called racist comment was that quote-unquote provoked a dramatic response from Bailey, so I turned to page three to get the promised details. Quote, One woman protesting against anti-Islamists was arrested for spitting in another woman's face over a religious insult. End quote. Well, what was that insult? We'll never know. But what was a racist comment on page one was now a religious insult on page three and remained a complete mystery for free press readers who undoubtedly were expected to fill in the blank with anything they might imagine. It's difficult, really, to imagine how the article's author, again, Megan Stacy, who, who penned the article about how the city hopes to diversify, you know, earlier on, could possibly have viewed the protests as, quote, a victory in light of past ugly incidents, end quote. This protest was maybe the ugliest incident of intolerance I've ever seen in the city of London. This was embarrassing. But no, Megan Stacy, quote, It stood in contrast to unflattering headlines London has faced in recent years about unprovoked attacks against Muslims, a fan tossing a banana onto the ice as a black NHL player took part in a shootout, and the N-word hurled at two black stage actors in the street, end quote. Well, of course, those headlines were also written by the London Free Press, and we examined all three of these stories when they occurred, and they did not turn out to be so. Quote, it was a reminder that ugliness lurks, and some say now finds expression disguised as support for so-called Western values, end quote. Well, there it is. Now, if you're in support of Western values, you are a racist. You are a white supremacist. You're a lot of terrible things. Quote, it's a whole new thing where people are using freedom of speech as a cloak for freedom to do hate and to do violence, and it's very, very dangerous, said London lawyer Faisal Joseph, outspoken on human rights issues. Well, this is ironic. Just who are those being cloaked? That's certainly not on Pegida's side of the equation. It's not on the right. It's all the leftist groups. Who, who are the guys that wear, wear those masks again? Who are the ones cloaking their evil intentions and using anti-concepts and their own hatreds as justification for all this intolerance? Who are they? Chanting and drumming by the counter-protesters is not an argument. It is a declaration of ignorance and impotence on their part, and of intolerance with respect to their view of the other, the people they're against, whoever it might be. This is yet another cloak. All the screaming and shouting and hollering. I had to censor so many parts of that short 30-second clip of the counter-protesters on our show last week. <laughs> I still wasn't sure if I caught all of the expletives and the other displays of, you know, their love and their tolerance for others. <laughs> Boy. Can we literally ban political views from public facilities? Joining us now via Skype from Calgary is our friend John Carpey, the executive director of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. John, great to see you again. Good to see you, Ezra. No one has to agree with Pegida. I don't know them well. I know that in Europe they have a reputation for being very peaceful, and in Canada the same. Is it legal under Canadian law for a city council to ban people from using city facilities because of their political views? No, it's completely illegal. The government at all levels, they have a legal duty under Canada's constitution to be neutral. So 
government has no business uh, banning uh, a rally or a parade or anything else uh, based on the content of the opinion. But unless the group is violent or advocating for violence, uh, the, the government has to be neutral in terms of the viewpoint. Seven minutes after 11 o'clock. Welcome to Vox Populi on a Friday before a long weekend. If you want to put your two cents out there, you want to join us for it, you have two minutes. Text Vox. I suggest everyone go to justrightmedia.org. Listen to yesterday's episode 520 featuring Amir Farahi, who I believe is a roundtable commentator with CJBK, in which they outline how the City Council of London unanimously approved a motion by Tanya Park to prohibit any organization with views that go against the views of the City of London, whatever that is. Well, the spirit of the motion is good. What it really is is very vague, communist in nature, and opens the door to the violation of free speech and assembly and actually violates Section 2.5 of the City Code of Conduct if we give in to sensationalist, reactionary, and communist rhetoric. Don't complain when they come for you next. You're listening to Just Right Broadcasting Around the World and Online. It is thanks to our financial supporters that it is possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts. Got some feedback on last week's show, and it certainly stirred a little storm in the city of London. Should mention this one, I guess, right off the top from Jenny Hill of Tagita, Canada. Quote, thanks so much for your coverage. We were rather overwhelmed. It is good to have a report of what actually happened. (laughs) And here's another one from someone who's been a guest on this show before, so I will mention his name, and his name's Mark Vandermas, of course. He's with Israel Truth Week. And he wrote, Hi guys, just listening to your show now. Awesome. Wanted you to know I've been consulting with Pegida's Jenny Hill to prepare an informal complaint to council. They're not going to like it. I've already heard from three counselors who read my story online. I'm getting some very helpful ideas from your show. Once the complaint has been submitted, I'll send you a copy. Now here we had quite a flurry of comments on our Facebook page regarding this show. Andrew S. says, All of the retards, especially the mayor, need a nice long session of involuntary BAT therapy. Rinse and repeat. (laughs) From Dave M., the tolerant left... Strikes again with tolerant in quotation marks, of course. Now, this one was interesting from Todd D. The spitter in the photo is Bailey Lamon, who is or was president of the Canadian Pirate Party. The following is from an article she published on February 20th, 2016 on Medium.com titled, Why This Radical Leftist is Disillusioned by Leftist Culture. Wow, that's an interesting one. Uh, Todd, thanks for sending this one to us, because get this, quote, this is Bailey speaking, the, the woman who spit in the face of the other person. Speaking of fascism, there is also a disturbing trend on the left nowadays that involves rejecting free speech and freedom of expression as a core value, because that speech could possibly be hurtful to someone somewhere. This is not only dangerous, but it also works against us, because as leftists, we are often labeled as threats by the state, and at the very least, we're unpopular by society in general. (laughs) Does this not mean that freedom of thought and expression are crucial to our struggles? That we should always defend our right to question what we're taught, our right to be different? 
As Noam Chomsky put it, if we don't believe in freedom of expression for people we despise, we don't believe in it at all. Freedom of expression and the like does not mean we have to agree with what the other person says. In fact, it means that when we do not, we certainly have the right to challenge it. But what myself and many others are seeing is the shutting off of dialogue entirely for the purpose of quote-unquote safety. What could possibly be safe about censorship? What could possibly be safe about a group of people who claim to be freedom fighters dictating who can speak and what can be said based on whether or not we agree with them? Study any kind of world history and you'll find that censorship has never been on the right side of it. Wow. Very fascinating, Todd. Thanks for that one. Unfortunately, Miss Lamont seems to think that freedom of speech includes spitting on somebody. Interesting, she also says censorship has never been on the right side. She's right. The right is about freedom of speech. The left is about censorship. So to argue that leftists are in favor of censorship means that she doesn't get what left is about, even as a leftist. And I see that all the time. I hear it all the time, too. Every morning when I get up and I turn on my morning radio shows, I like listening to the opposition, by the way. But there's always Ken Eastwood and Lisa Brandt, CJBK AM 1290's early morning talk show hosts. One of the interesting things about their discussions about the Pegida rally, repeatedly, was that both hosts kept stressing that it is not possible to separate Islam from Muslims, and therefore to be opposed to radical Islam, you are a hater. This is the whole connection. This is the associative thinking that the left does, and, and they could not be, you couldn't, you couldn't rip it from them. No matter what anybody says. Now consider what that would mean if it was true. Islam and Muslims are one and the same thing. Okay, Ken and Lisa, if that's true, then that means that all Muslims are Islamists. So if there is such a thing as an Islamist, then all Muslims must be such, right? According to this line of thinking. Now we know this is not true, nor could it be. If I recall correctly, Salim Mansour's next book will be about distinguishing Muslims from Islam. Would you call Salim an Islamist? He considers himself a Muslim, but he's no Islamist. Give me a break. Yet in the left side, they're one and the same. But as an outspoken defender of Western values, Salim is, you know, would be a white supremacist, <laughs> hiding behind the veil of free speech to spread his hate and ignorance and intolerance. That's, that would be their interpretation. Well, without even getting into it, if you're wondering about the difference, Muslims are people. Islam is an ideology, both religious and political. You know, it's like Catholics are people. The Roman Catholic Church is both a religion and a political organization. Christians are people. The Bible is a book of biblical stories, including the story of Christ. They're different. Ideas are ideas, people are people, and this is the reason they don't want to make the distinction, because ideas can be voluntarily held, unlike your skin color or your ancestry. That's the trick. That's why Hitler picked race. He didn't want to pick religion as a distinct, distinguishing thing, because he knew people could change their religions, but they couldn't change their blood. So that was the thing under which he united them. 
This is the great divide being constructed by the left, white versus all the rest. You can see it in the news coverage and commentaries, and I think it's utterly despicable. It's unconscionable. I think it's funny how diversity means all groups except white, don't you? Racist governments and laws continually group non-white groups that way. I ran into this phenomenon in spades when I volunteered to represent a London landlord before an Ontario Human Rights Commission. I was continually being forced to use the term Asian when we were before the hearings, when it was utterly essential that a racial and national distinction be made in order to, to defend the landlord because it was the source of all the racist tensions supposedly being caused by the landlord in his apartment buildings and who, who coincidentally, he happened to be a white landlord, go figure, even though he was a recent immigrant with a poor command of the English language. The poor fellow never even understood what he was supposed to be guilty of since he had rented his rental units to a majority of Asian tenants. And this is the classification and diversity ratio that gave then-London Municipal Council Susan Eagle and Provincial Council Geraldine Sanson, you know, the legal argument that they needed to be able to make a racist accusation against the landlord. It was a matter of statistics. It's sort of like what the Ontario Minister was talking about, right? It's going to be systemic. And here's how the system works. Apparently, as I discovered during the hearings, when a white landlord or service provider provides services to a number exceeding a set percentage of racially non-white people, he is deemed to be taking advantage of an identifiable group and is guilty of systemic racism. Seriously, I've been through it. No wonder my pointing out that there were Cambodians and Vietnamese at war with each other in the building created so much opposition from the, from the left, from the, from the government. Had they been able to view Cambodians and Vietnamese as different racial ethnic groups, then the systemic racism argument would fall apart because they wouldn't have the, the percentage ratio they needed, which they could get only by calling them all Asians. It would literally be cut in half. Because about half the people were, were, were Vietnamese and the other half were Cambodian. It was a ridiculous situation. This is something I hadn't even thought of until long after I became the first person to win a case before an Ontario Human Rights Commission, which you can find documented in many places online. Now, of course, demonstrating that there was no racism on the part of the white landlord was not received as good news by the London Free Press or the Ontario government, because good news is no news for the left. The left has a racist agenda and pursues it relentlessly throughout a myriad of racially inspired laws and legislation that are not about race per se, but about being anti-freedom, anti-capitalism, and, as always, race is the calling card. It's so funny, too, because, you know, my personal involvement in that historic event came about as a consequence of a false report in the London Free Press regarding a hearing that I happened to attend in person and was appalled at what I read in the paper. It was as if we were at two different events. Of course, as we all dis later discovered, and this is the reason why, the whole Human Rights Commission case against the landlord arose out of an open and direct conspiracy between certain members of the then Municipal Council, the London Free Press, and various government and social agencies who conspired together to take over the landlord's property so they could use it for government housing. And so the way to get it out of his hands was to accuse the poor guy of racism in front of a human rights commission. This is our tolerant 
politicians and, and all the people looking after these minority groups. This, this is how they operate. Together, they actually publicly advertise for a complainant to take their case before the Human Rights Commission. It, this was outrageous and criminal. I was the only one that would stand up and say anything about it. And from that moment on, when I won that case, and I called the London Free Press's integrity into, into question, because I had to subpoena them before the Human Rights Commission, they were dragged in because it was their reputation online. But from that moment on, my name was a forbidden word at the London Free Press. And the London Free Press's consistent history of fake news about a myriad of events and issues I've personally witnessed or took part in to say nothing of our documented experiences with Freedom Party, it's legendary, it's pathetic, it's juvenile. And you know, a lot of the fake news is not because of from what they report, but it's fake by the news of omission. It's the things you don't say, which is usually what actually happened at an event. Well, that was decades ago, and it hasn't let up a bit since. The left is obsessed with race and with racism for very natural reasons. Racism is an integral part of leftist ideologies. It's part of group politics. So beware of what you read in the pages of the London Free Press. When it comes to politics and to issues of left and right, which I hope our regular listeners are beginning to appreciate the enormous significance of. The paper's most likely wrong, or as they would put it, on the left. You know, one of the best ways to fight racism is using humor and talking about it and being direct about it. If you want to get a sense of just how far to the politically correct left that we have drifted in a so short a time, such a relatively short time, I'm sure a few of you might feel like cringing a bit by some of the humor that was quite common during primetime TV not so long ago. <laughs> oh, the one about the Polish man who locked his keys in his car? It took him two weeks to get his family out. <laughs> Oh, these two Polish duck hunters. One of them said, Stash, how come we're not getting any birds? He said, maybe we're not throwing the dog high enough. <laughs> oh, all right, I'll change the subject, man. Uh, well, you know what's wrong with Ireland geographically? It's above sea level. <laughs> oh, you know why Greeks don't have freckles? Because they keep sliding off. That is enough. What's wrong, man? I mean, these are funny. Mindy, are you okay? No. Hey, 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 hey. Look, what's going on here? Oh, Remo, you know my friends say about Italians eating Chinese food? They use wop sticks. Hey. <laughs> oh, here's one, Min. You know how to save a darkie from drowning? No, Mark. Good. Mark, shut up. What's wrong, Min? I mean, my friends laugh at these. Do you see anyone here laughing? Oh, I almost did it, the one about the dog. <laughs> right now. Mark, do you know what bigotry is? Sure, bigotry. That's what they have in Italian forests. Bigotry. <laughs> no. Bigotry is when people hate other people just because they're different. I don't hate anybody, men. My, my friends just have them because they say they're, they're inferior. Mark, I don't know about where you came from, but here on Earth, we're all supposed to be created equal. 
mean, the only people who are inferior are those who say that other people are. Yeah, but my friends tell me that... Your friends could fertilize Iowa with their mouths. <laughs> they're a bunch of sick, stupid creeps who could do a lot of harm. Well, I mean, they're just telling jokes. Mark, they use those jokes as weapons until they have enough guts to buy bullets. I wouldn't be surprised if 40 years ago in Germany somebody said, did you hear the one about the two Jews? Before long, that's almost all that were left. If you're right, that's not funny. No. Well, there's one thing that confuses me, though, men. I mean, aren't there any people on Earth who are lazy, shiftless, pushy, dumb and inscrutable? <laughs> well, of course there are, but, but in every race, creed and color. And aren't there people like that on Orc? Not anymore. They sent me here. One of the reasons that jokes like the ones we just heard from the Mork and Mindy show are so little heard today is because those jokes were part of a necessary conversation that people had to have in order to confront their quite artificial and unreal fears of each other because of racial or ethnic differences. It was a great way to deal with it, humor. The conversation, though, was infinitely superior to how all of the so-called anti-racists have been promoting their cause here in the city. They're doing it from this darkness of ignorance and confusion that makes them incapable of presenting any kind of ideas to counter what, if true of the people they accuse of being racist and white supremacists, should be even easier than telling racial and ethnic jokes. How should that be so hard to do? And yet they don't do it. They have to shout them down. So we've gone from racial humor that was relatively acceptable in a not-so-politically-correct society to this extreme condition where freedom of speech is a terror for a lot of people to be able to exercise it. Last week, Robert Vaughn referred to this article by Randy Richmond out of the London Free Press on August 26th, which he was not kidding when he said how bad this was. Racism, intolerance, rebranded. New wave of hate groups use euphemistic language to mask white supremacist. Message reads the headline. Quote, How do we know who's who? How do we dissect the euphemistic language surrounding the latest wave of groups espousing beliefs that challenge Canada's tolerance for other cultures and faiths, he asks. Citing his coverage of activities of several white supremacist groups with London connections back in the early 2000s, Richmond writes, Quote, the more recent groups that receive attention today, including the host of Saturday's rally, Pegida Canada, are careful to avoid language that speaks of racism or of white supremacy. They're quick to call out media outlets, individuals and groups that call them white supremacists. They're not racists or white supremacists, these groups say. They're just defending Western culture and values against the spread of Islam. They're being very careful in their language. It's all part of a broader attempt to shift the image of the far right, says Barbara Perry, a social scientist and author on hate crimes at the University of Toronto Institute of Technology. And again, far right. Okay, It's the right that's the problem. See how important these labels are? It keeps coming up. It's the, it's the vagueness of the terms to them that give these labels power. You put power back into those labels, they'll stop using them, and they'll scurry to the next definition that will hide what they truly represent, the something for nothings, the people who want the unearned. Quote, the new groups speak not about race, but about culture and values, Perry says. But Perry says, make no mistakes, the groups are white supremacists. 
It's still about white privilege, white nationalism. I don't believe there's any difference in the foundation of their beliefs. She agrees it can be difficult for Canadians to decode the language and see what lies beneath. It's up to scholars in the media to do that job, Perry says, like her, right? Because their job is to confuse you so you can't see them coming. Richmond then writes, dig into Pegida a bit and you can see Perry's point. Well, I did that and I couldn't. But I could see her own racist perspectives on everything. And the writer, Randy Richmond, cites three ways in which people on Pegida's Facebook page are referring to Islamization. One, population jihad. Two, intellectual jihad. And three, love jihad. And then refers to Perry's claim that these messages are, quote, parallels to the messages of the Ku Klux Klan and other racists. Although no mention of the Democratic Party because other racists are all on the left. So is the Ku Klux Klan. But never mind that Islam is not a race, nor was the Ku Klux Klan bent on world domination via jihad, nor did the Ku Klux Klan have anything like the Koran on which its beliefs were based, racist though they may have been. They already had the Democrats. What did they need all that for? Quote, The different groups coming to the surface now tout different aims, which also can make it more difficult to understand them, says Amarnat Amarasigam if I'm pronouncing that correct, a senior research fellow at George Washington's university program on extremism. There you go. Extremism is is one of those um, anti-concepts, right? So you have a guy who's right into anti-concepts here. (laughs) Extremely what? Quote, while they might have different origins, far-right, pro-West, anti-refugee, anti-black, or anti-Muslim, they're now converging on a perceived common threat. Islam, he says. It's difficult to know how well the strategy and new language are working. There is a large flaw in the use of vague language, writes Richmond, in a statement that could not be more ironic, given the vague language of his whole article throughout. Quote, that language can be used by anti-racists as well, arguing pro-Western, pro-Canadian values mean the opposite of what anti-Islam, white supremacy, alt-right groups want. For me, Perry says, Canadian values are about inclusivity and equity and respect, end quote. Well, Perry is a racist because by inclusivity, she is only talking about race and skin color, not about ideas or about differences of opinion, which are clearly not tolerated, nor even understood by this so-called social scientist, which is yet another euphemism for socialist. Note the repeated attacks on what these racists call the right. Always it's the right, it's the right, it's the right, it's the right, because it's the left. Hello? Even though all racism and collectivism emanates from the left, from Hitler to Stalin to the U.S. Democratic Party and its affiliation with the Ku Klux Klan, you know, was the left mentioned as a culprit even once? No. And of course, only white people are opposed to Islam, according to this group of racists. Gee, black people, of course, are all in favor of Islam. No black person would think differently. Asians must support Islam because they're not white. But according to this excremental propaganda, only whites and rights are even capable of being racist. This is both racist and leftist in an absolute sense of the term. So how do we know who's who, as Richmond asked? Well, just listen. Don't read in or add your own racist baggage to every message you hear. Take them all at their word until you discover different. And nothing cited in Richmond's article has met that test with regard to Pegida. The reason that Pegida, quote, are careful to avoid language that speaks of racism and white supremacy, end quote, is because it's got nothing to do with them. 
It's not even on their agenda or in their field of consciousness. It's in your mind all the time. It's all you talk about. I can pick a dozen articles and there it is. I don't see a dozen articles with Pegida doing the same thing. Who's the person with his head in the toilet? It's the free press. Everybody there. They're, they're, they're terrible. Racism and white supremacy are words that only the left uses, folks like Randy Richmond. And when social scientist or, or socialist Barbara Perry says it's all part of a broader attempt to shift the image of the far right, not only is this pure BS, it is she who is blanking out any discussion of, of who the true racists are, and that's the left. Racism and white supremacy, or black supremacy for that matter, are by definition on the left. The right is about freedom and capitalism, two conditions utterly incompatible with ideologies of any kind of groupism, racism, racial supremacy, economic. It's not part of it. It's not part of the definition. You can't keep claiming it is and trying to alt-right, alt... Okay. Adding the fuel of ignorance and racism to the fires of this leftist London free press was, again, Larry Corney's racist diatribe on August 19th, headlined, Facing the Challenge. Quote, within mere months, hatred and division spawned by an, an unqualified U.S. president has filtered down into the lives around the world. Our families, our workplaces, our social networks, suddenly none of them are immune to the polarizing effects of ethnic culture or racial division. There he refers to polarization, which is exactly what I said what Donald Trump accomplished. Polarization is necessary because it brings out and polarizes and identifies who's on whose side. Right? That's how it works. And why do you suppose the left is opposed to polarization? It's like Ayn Rand said when we did, when we did the whole show on this issue. Because th they don't want to have disagreement. They cannot have disagreement because they don't know how to disagree. They can't argue back. That's why all the shouting downtown. Actually, the polarization that took place was a good thing, as we demonstrated in detail recently. And the polarization is not ab about the racist imaginings of the writer, but it's about... Left and right. Racism is just one part of the left. Their favorite part. Must taste good or something, I don't know. We've seen far rights groups in London before, he continues. The arrival of Martin Weechi and his family in southwestern Ontario following the Second World War spawned some of them. Wow, I couldn't believe that one. Corny's then points to Weechi's Nazi past, his running for mayor of the city of London in 1976 when he got 3% of the vote, and the fact that Weechi made his money renovating houses and building apartment complexes in London and Sarnia. Writes Corny's, while his ideas and hatred have always remained on the fringes, they remained virulent, and he did have supporters and hangers-on. Evidence of that influence, as well as the effects of other hate-based groups, still pop up around the city from time to time. When I lived in Byron in the 1990s, a family in the neighborhood occasionally flew a Nazi flag in their backyard. <laughs> End quote. Talk about associating unrelated things. Really, this is evidence of Martin Weechi's influence? Folks, Weechi was a nut bar. <laughs> His Nazism was just one small part of it. I remember sometimes sitting on the Oxford East bus, too, going north on Richmond Street, when Weechi would be standing on the corner of Dundas and Richmond, handing out his wacko flyers to anyone who'd take one. But everybody tolerated him. And he faded into obscurity. 
which is exactly how to best deal with racists and leftists alike if you could do it. But freedom remains a mystery to the left. They just don't get it, mostly because they don't want it. Quote, we know firsthand of the staying power of racism, xenophobia, bigotry, and intolerance, much as we have worked to combat it. White supremacists and allied groups represent small frayed threads in the fabric of Canadian society, but knowing how to deal with their persistence and virulent beliefs is difficult, he writes. Well, it's only difficult if you're on the left, or if you live in a socialist society where people are identified by groups, my God, it, it's a non-issue on the true right where individualism and freedom are the values that society embraces. It's not even an issue. You know, as if to emphasize this very point, one that Cornys himself keeps himself willfully blind to, he cites attendees at yet another demonstration in London's Victoria Park on Wednesday, August 16th, thusly, quote, among the Londoners at West Wednesday's rally were those who self-identified as indigenous, queer, Jewish, Muslim, transgendered, black, brown, and so on. But there were people like me there, too. White, straight, ethnically invisible, comparatively privileged. This should be our challenge to meet, not that of the victims, end quote. Now, both of the commentaries I just cited, the one from Corny's and of Richmond, these are racism to the core. Because I am white, apparently it is my responsibility to meet the challenge of racism on the behalf of non-whites who are all victims because of their skin color? What about my history? What are they doing for my history? How are they cleaning up my life? What happened to, to my family in World War II? Why should I, I have to feel sorry for them because their skin color is different than mine? What about all the Europeans that had lives much worse before they came to this country? But they're white, you see. What causes racism? Well, group identities recognized and enshrined by law, with one or more groups enjoying privileges that other groups do not share. There you are. Cause of racism. Everything about Canada is racially based. I mean, our census collects data by race. Why? Either the government should own up to the reality of race in its own thinking, or abandon the very word race altogether. In physics, causation has been described as identity applied to action. The identity of those promoting racism is best described as being on the left. All of the left's thinking is associative, guilt by association, even if that association is mere skin color that spans centuries back into a make-believe history that's being revised and rewritten by today's left. Pegida is opposed to Islamists, therefore they're guilty of white supremacy because the Ku Klux Klan said something that sounded similar. All the racists in the city are Martin Weechie's fault, even though hardly anybody ever heard of him. <laughs> this is all associative thinking, and I guess that's what they mean by freedom of association on the left. All the consequences of an anti-conceptual mentality, which, as Ayn Rand always insisted, is a self-arrested state of mind. It's not a mental deficiency. It's a moral and intellectual choice by otherwise intelligent people. And hey, who's opposed to freedom of choice, right? And given that freedom of choice, we hope that you will once again choose to exercise that choice by joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right. Stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white Under the bedclothes 
everything will be alright. Well, tell me, when can we meet this friend of yours? How soon can you spit? <laughs> Say tomorrow morning at my place? Sounds good. I think our meeting's about to start now. Try this on for size. Oh, dress up. Do you have a Frankenstein mask? <laughs> there are no steins allowed in here. <laughs>